This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Apologies for the glitchiness at 9 o'clock there. Hopefully that woke you up. It certainly woke us up here. I hope it didn't interfere too much with your listening pleasure. Thanks very much to John Walsh for holding the fort between 9 and 10 over the last two weeks while I was otherwise engaged. And to him for the last two hours of music and good cheer. Though it's grey and wet outside, John has been a ray of sunshine around the place this morning because, of course, he's got a broad smile on his face with the news that his beloved Leeds United are returning to the Premiership. It's a new era for us all in KCLR in a bit of a way because, as John mentioned, as long as KCLR has been on air, just over 16 years, Leeds have been in the Championship. And I know that's something that's been a bit of a niggle, well, maybe more than a niggle for John. But with them back at the top table, as John put puts it, he's looking forward to the future. So congratulations to all Leeds United supporters all over Carlo and Kilkenny and a shout out to another Leeds stalwart this morning, Peter Hennebury of Maxim Engineering, who we had on the programme a few weeks ago. From sport to the serious world of business these days, this morning we'll be talking the future of foreign direct investment in this area with Brendan MacDonald who's the Regional Director for the South East with IDA Ireland. Kate Gaynor of the Paint Hub in Carlo will tell us about how COVID-19 has caused her to radically change how she does business. Accountant Alan Siri will join us with practical information and advice for employers and employees alike. And we'll be hearing about the work of the Kilkenny Tourism Task Force and their Welcome Kilkenny initiative. But first, joining me on the line is Eamon Quinn, business editor of the Irish Examiner. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning, John. How are you? Now, uh, busy time in business these days and people uh, in business very much looking forward to what's going to be contained in this much vaunted stimulus scheme that the government is set to announce next week. Indeed. Now, there's huge pressure on the government to get this right, to save as many jobs as possible and to prevent even more uh, companies going to the wall. And the pressures actually increase somewhat because the UK, after what, after a fairly uh, slow start, what they did uh, two weeks ago with their summer stimulus uh, amid this economic crisis has been actually actually delivered quite a lot. Now, the themes they're developing from Irish business is that uh, the Irish business groups want basically a, uh, a uh, the headline demands are cut the VAT rate, um, the extend the wage uh, subsidy scheme, which the government has conceded that the, they will do that, and also and basically for the government to deliver grants and not more uh, schemes which are going to deliver costly credit to businesses, which they can't afford because there's no money coming in the door. And I, I suppose to, to summarise, quick, a quick run-through of the business, the, the, those demands include from IBEC, they cut the VAT rate, 
ISME says focuses on grants, not loans. Chambers Ireland's uh, wants uh, startup grants um, for to get startup grants for business to get back up and running. Charter Accountants Ireland warn that one in three firms right across the island, north and south, are worried about running out of cash. They and they're urging government to provide maximum support and flexibility to businesses. Um, and it goes on. The Irish Tourism Confederation, the Irish Hotel Federation, Restaurants Association of Ireland, and the, obviously the the, um, the pub groups, they all want a cut in the VAT rate. And to go somewhere near matching what the UK did the other week, which was to cut their VAT rate to 5%. And the, as we know, the um, the uh, the Irish rate is is currently at thirteen and a half. Yeah, so seems to be a lot of common uh, cause on VAT, but um, talks of bailouts for sectors and a one size fit all solution isn't going to work in relation to that. No, I think I think the the business groups are definitely going for the VAT rate, not because they see it as the best targeted way of not it's not designed like the previous cut by uh, the former finance minister Michael Noonan back in 2012 when temporarily for a few years the VAT rate was brought down to 9%. Now that was sold as a way of boosting demand. This is conceded is not designed to boost demand but as a direct uh, aid to all businesses but particularly small firms that they can basically keep that so they don't have to hand across to the revenue that extra that that that, that those few percentage points in, in VAT the difference so that's seen as a direct uh, help what did go down badly is the the scheme announced by uh, Lee Radker, who's obviously the new uh, is new, the new business minister. Uh, that two billion scheme announced um, last week was confirmed last week. That's a credit guarantee scheme uh, providing loans. These are now guaranteed by eighty percent by the Irish government. That was particularly is not actually what's required. And uh, all the all the groups representing the small firm says it'll be small firms can't afford to take out loans. Yeah, and, and uh, during the week, big news, obviously, about the, the stalling of the introduction of the phases, hitting a lot of publicans, uh, etc. Is it likely that there would be specific measures for people like publicans, or, or is the VAT uh, going to be the, the main headline of this package, do you think? Will there be sectoral bailouts? Well, there has to be because those businesses are closed down. There's no money coming in the door, so there is um, there's no VAT to pay on uh, for, for for those businesses. What those, those sectoral groups? They're looking for startup grants uh, to help them with uh, you know to social distancing. They're looking for every type of break of. Uh, the fixed costs, uh, you know, the, the, the rates extension, which has already been considered as well. Um, and But basically ways when those restrictions are finally lifted that they can, that they, they can get some sort of um, relief on all those expenses to, that they face in getting back to business. Now, uh, the wage support schemes that were introduced, uh, the COVID employment subsidy and so on, 
hugely uh, positive to be introduced, but there's a lot of apprehension about tailing them off. But the numbers that are on them are actually mind-boggling, really. About 50% of the private sector workforce supported in one way or other, you were telling me. If you go through the numbers, they are the the, the on the wage support scheme. The most up to date figures is but there's 415,000 people availing of the wage support scheme. So in other words, that those companies could not afford to pay a lot of the of those 415,000 uh, during this economic crisis without the wage support scheme. Then the pandemic unemployment scheme, which has been falling um, some weeks quite rapidly as different uh, different parts of the economy go back to work but there's still 345,000 oh well over 345,600 people on the PUP on that PUP payments and then you add in the people who are on the on the official count of the live register uh, the unemployed you add those three blocks together and as you said it comes to it comes to night it comes to nearly 981 981,000, wow. which, as you say, John, is half, is all but half the, um, accounts for half of all private sector workers. Yeah, now, during the uh, week also, the huge, uh, on the international, but also coming out of Ireland, the huge story was the ruling in relation to the Apple tax. That's seen, you know, as good news for the Irish tax environment, which is so central to the foreign direct investment uh, story in Ireland. But you were writing during the week in the Irish Examiner that 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 ruling is only really a small break from the growing battles that Ireland faces over its multinationals and taxation and so on. Is indeed. And what happened on Wednesday is the EU General Court, uh, they, that's the lower court in Europe, they overturned a decision of the, in, in 2016 by the uh, European Commission that uh, Ireland had broken stated rules by effectively doing a sweetheart deal with Apple and that Ireland, that the government should immediately collect the 13 billion um, from 13 billion back taxes from Apple. The now the, the in, in, in in four years ago the the government courted unpopularity by uh, appealing this by resisting collecting the 13 billion and after all Apple has got Apple can well afford it uh, they've got about in their back pocket they've got about 210 billion in cash um, at any one time now the you know, the reason that obviously Ireland uh, objected to this, didn't take the 13 billion men, and its position has been vindicated, was that they wanted control over, basically, to keep control over the corporation tax rate and over the corporation, uh, the, the corporate tax revenues, which are so important to prosperity and the government revenues here. Now, the, 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 the political issue may have gone away or been diluted somewhat, but what hasn't gone away is the threat to the the control, um, Ireland's sovereign control over its corporation tax rate, and that threat is multi-pronged. It comes from the European Commission, it comes from the, and the, the, the US, um, and on the Commission, on the very same day, on the Wednesday, on last Wednesday, when the, uh, the court handed down the decision, which was favourable to the Irish government. The, um, the, on the same day, uh, the Commission announced a proposal, basically, uh, 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 which would dilute um, national vetoes over the right 
uh, for uh, to object to tax changes across Europe, and pointedly that was announced on the uh, very same day as the Apple judgment went against the Commission, and of course the basically the game that the Irish government is playing is to try to keep inevitable reforms of the the way tax the way multinationals are taxed around the world in in a an existing um an existing uh, uh, change under the auspices of the OECD and the trouble is that there is the facing difficulties from the US never mind uh, who's re-elected whether Donald Trump's re-elected or not the there will be continuing pressure to bring those jobs which are basically you know pharmaceutical jobs here at the, multi- the US multinationals back to the states and so, it's, as I said, it's a multi-pronged threat, uh, basically, to try to keep the control over corporation tax rates that comes from Europe as well as, well as the States. Eamon, that's a very interesting and challenging times ahead. This time next week, we should know the details of the stimulus package. Unfortunately, we've got to leave it there. That's Eamon Quinn, business editor with the Irish Examiner. Look forward to talking to you again, Eamon. Now, uh, moving on, during the week, uh, the government announced that face coverings are going to be needed in shops in future. So uh, retail staff will also be required to wear a face covering unless there is a partition between them and members of the public. Lots of partitions in shops but uh, shopping won't be the same for the foreseeable. And uh, just time to give a big shout-out to Zume Germain of Microgen Biotech in Carlo. We had Zume on the programme a couple of weeks ago. She won the Agriculture, Food and Water category at the recent Extreme Tech Challenge Finals and also received an award as female founder. Just a reminder that the AGM of Carlo Chamber is scheduled to take place on Wednesday the 22nd of July at 630 p.m. via Zoom. So uh, if you're interested in attending that, do check out Carlo Chambers' website and do take place in an old Zoom AGM. It's just coming up to 20 minutes past nine o'clock. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. The heart of it all. Casey Law, indeed. It's just 21 minutes past nine o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Now, I was talking there to Eamon about uh, the uh, supports that have been provided to business through this COVID crisis and the pandemic unemployment scheme and the wage subsidy scheme have been very uh, significant. During the week, I sat down with Alan Seary, accountant, to talk about issues that will impact employers and employees uh, in relation to these. I started off by asking Alan just to recap what's involved in the pandemic unemployment scheme and the wage subsidy scheme. So John, the pandemic unemployment scheme is from the Department of Social Welfare. The temporary wage subsidy scheme is operated through employers, so the government pay employers uh, the temporary wage subsidy for them to pay onto their employees. Okay, and can you just briefly summarise the provisions of each? So the provisions of each is that the maximum amount that you can get is €350 per week, and then there's some tapering off depending on people's uh, income levels. 
the second point about it is that there's no tax operated on the payments. So the employees in due course might have a tax liability on the payments depending on their income. And how does that work? Because we've had a number of queries about that. Uh, people worried about their own uh, tax position on, on both of those schemes. And, and what's the position? Are, are people facing a tax liability down the road? Uh, some people may, but most people probably will not because their income has gone down anyway. And they'll also have, say, the benefit of tax credits and standard rate bans and so on. But for people that do have a tax liability, Revenue have said that in the main, they'll be adjusting people's tax credits probably over the next two years. So they collect any um, underpayment or tax then over. Over the, over the next couple of years. For people who, say, have um, income other than employment income that are required to submit a tax return every year, but then they'll probably pay any balance of tax due then when they, when they file the return. If people want to source out where they actually stand at the moment, what should they do? Um, well, there's probably a few things that they could do. One is to send a query to my, through their My Inquiries account if they have one with Revenue. That's an online service that Revenue have there. Uh, Revenue have in the last few days operated or reopened their um, helpline, um, which is 01738 3636, but they have said that they would rather that people that, can, that you know who aren't in position to operate um, an internet access through my inquiries only to call them on that. Um, so if people have um, you know other income that they would typically use an accountant to assist with their tax attorneys, you you know give their accountant a call. Yeah, and is it a, a big thing that's coming down the line, or do you think it, people are unnecessarily worried about this? Um, it, it'll 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 affect some people, all right, for for income, you know, but where they're already on high salaries, but. Given, given, I suppose, where we are and how long this thing has unfortunately lasted, um, people's income will be a lot down, or greatly down this year than, than in previous years. So I don't expect it. it uh, for most people, I'd say that the, the tax liability event will be small enough, hopefully. But it's an employee revenue issue rather than an employee-employer issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's been uh, a lot of coverage over the last number of weeks about revenue are starting to uh, uh, verify with businesses. A figure of something like 55,000 businesses, I think, are availing of of uh, the unemployment, or sorry, the wage subsidy scheme. Revenue are looking into that. What should businesses expect to hear from revenue in relation to that? Yes, yeah, so revenue are issuing uh, a fairly generic letter to most businesses that have availed of the temporary wage subsidy scheme. And the main provisions in that are that the revenue wants to satisfy themselves today, that the company's business has gone down by 25% in turnover, and B, that, they operate, that they're operating the wage subsidy scheme correctly. So they want to see, um, uh, on a sample basis, pay slips for certain employees to, to make sure that the amount of wage subsidy that that person was supposed to get has actually been paid to them. Mm. And we're in the middle of July. Uh, a lot of employers are talking about, you know, August, things will be different uh, from August. Obviously, none of us know what the government is thinking, but they have said there'll be no cliff edge. Um, what's your sense of what's going to happen? Um, uh, my sense is that if they will have to uh, water down the amount of subsidy that's, that's being paid, either through the pandemic unemployment scheme um, or through the temporary wage subsidy scheme, and for the simple reason that it's it's um, it's way too expensive for for the Irish government and therefore the Irish taxpayer. Um, that said, though, as you rightly say, that they have announced that it won't be a cliff edge uh, payment, so it won't be 351 one week and nothing the following week. So I'd, I'd say that you'd probably see a tapering down over a number of months, you know, maybe going to maybe 75%, 350, then 50%, then 25%, and then nil. And probably the dilemma for the government is at the moment, um, you know, uh, we're, we're unsure as what the next uh, couple of months are, so they'll have to err on the side, side of caution, presumably. Well, if you think of where we were at the start of this, I think, you know, we all thought, listen, if we shut down for four weeks, it'll pass. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't happened. Uh, not sure anybody's fault, just the nature of the of the uh, virus itself. So, but unfortunately, we can't keep uh, sustaining the 
the support from the government that's, that's there so eventually we will have to start tapering it off um, Now there's a stimulus package the government has talked about uh, the, the new government is putting it together very quickly um, expectations of an announcement next week what kind of tax measures would you expect Alan? Um, I think there will be some support to, for the hospitality sector so you might remember back at the last economic crash um, they brought in a special rate of 9% for um, uh, primarily the hospitality sector and also sectors such as uh, media and for newspapers papers and uh, for hairdressers and so on. Um, so I'd expect to see something similar. Um, the quid pro quo for that might be that they might reintroduce a pension levy that was brought in that, at that time as well. And they may have a look at uh, capital taxes. So for inheritance tax or gift tax, they might um, make those a bit more yielding a tax than what's there, there at the moment. I don't expect um, tax increases to apply in income generally because they have said previously that they won't apply income tax increases. Yeah, I suppose over the last week, one of the big stories was the postponement of the reopening of, of pubs that don't sell uh, alcohol. On Casey Lord during the week, we've had publicans uh, affected by that talking to us about how they had restocked. You know, we had one on yesterday talking about how he had invested 10,000 in, in stock on the expectation of opening next week. Um, and now that's going to be going stale over the next three or maybe even longer number of weeks. Do you think the government is going to take account of something like that? They've said that they understand the hammer blow that this has been. I, I think they'll take account of it and maybe um, that when the wage subsidy scheme starts uh, tapering off that it might be on an industry specific basis so some some uh, industries or sectors might come off the wage subsidy quicker than others so you'd expect then that uh, if say the um, the bar trade has been on shutdown for longer well then you'd expect that the wage subsidy scheme for that sector would last longer. Yeah the, the introduction of all these aids was very broad brush and so on what you're talking about there is more fine tuning it's going to be very difficult task you know given the given the possibility of going backwards in the fight against the virus albeit temporarily but but we're in for a choppy number of months we are I mean, it's a bit like the shutdown itself probably the easiest part was actually shutting down the country the hardest part is actually reopening and the same way for the pandemic payment the easiest part um, relatively speaking was to pay the money out so the hardest part is going to actually start withdrawing it mm. and you're working with like scores of different businesses how in general are you finding them coping with the uncertainty and so on um, okay, uh, what, what's a common theme is that they're all saying that the wage subsidy scheme is a, a massive benefit to them. Um, it, really is, it really has allowed them to get started open again or to just keep things ticking over, you know, if they haven't been able to open fully or, or at all yet. Um, but there's a lot of nervousness out there, you know, as, as regards what the position will be. And even the current conversations, you know, as regards probably having to pause on, pay, on step four or even go back a step, you know, is creating uncertainty out there. So um, I think it'll be a long winter ahead. Yeah, and, and anecdotal, there are loan assistance available. The government has uh, indicated that. Anecdotally, we're hearing that not people aren't that keen on taking on loan burdens. Is that typical in your view, or are people? Um, some people are. I suppose m most businesses um, in Ireland, uh, sorry, not most businesses, but a lot of businesses operate on a debt-free basis, and they're probably reluctant to to take on debt. Um, you know, because you know debt has to be paid back. So uh, I know there was some comments during the week that 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 point did come out that a lot of businesses weren't available because they don't want to take on debt. And so the only other way that a support can be granted then is by way of an actual grant. Um, and whether that's viable for a government to to fund is probably in question as well. So. Um, 
it's 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 a difficult choice because businesses don't want to take on debt that they can't they can't fund, and the government obviously can't underwrite every business that's out there either. So yeah, uh, and the government and revenue have agreed to while they're still seeking VAT and PAY PRSI returns, the payment of them isn't been uh, pursued. In your view, are people being prudent and not burning through their future VAT, or are they some people unfortunately storing away problems for for future dates? Or how's that? Um, no, I think um, for for most businesses, VAT is a, is a VAT on sales. So obviously, their sales have, have still gone down markedly, so the VAT liability on sales won't be significant. Uh, secondly, then as regards payroll taxes, most businesses again are availing of the wage subsidy scheme, so the actual additional net um, payroll cost for any supplement that the employer makes will be small enough. So I don't think there is a big store of liability uh, uh, building up there for a lot of businesses. That's positive, and a lot of yeah. positivity on the on the the tax side of things, and um, you know, on on assistance for business. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the, the tax warehousing and temporary wage subsidy scheme has really given uh, businesses an opportunity to pause, regroup, and then to, to hopefully get back out of this in one, in one piece. Yeah, now, Alan, you're a tax specialist and an absolutely huge uh, tax story during the week in relation to Apple, and we were talking about it uh, earlier on and, and throughout the week. Um, there is a school of thought that, you know, big company like Apple should be actually paying more that the Irish government needs uh, the 13 billion that it could have just said thanks very much and walked away with but give us the other view from a from a tax uh, practitioner's point of view and the impact on Ireland Inc. Well I, I, just to address your first point there, John, uh, Ireland operates on a, on a rule of law basis. So uh, we have a, back then when those rulings were given to Apple that they were disputed by the EU afterwards, uh, we operated on the basis of uh, tax legislation that was in force at the time. Um, and that, 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 that was the, the law of the country, and Apple abided by the law of the country, and the Irish Revenue you know, acted in accordance with the law of the country, and that has all been validated by the EU. But uh, Mrs. Festiger has tried to do is try to override over Irish law and impose EU law on Irish law mm. and uh, she's failed miserably on that. Yeah, and a couple of issues about that that gets to the whole, it's a broader question, but the issue of state aid whereby the EU um, prevents com- uh, governments assisting companies, that's a bit of a restraint, isn't it? And, and across the EU, that's kind of coming under pressure that, you know, in Germany, Lufthansa got a huge bailout from, from the German government. Is that going to have ramifications that appears like state aid which it would appear on the face of it to not be allowed it was, state aid over the last few years has permeated its way into tax legislation so ministers mightn't believe that state aid is actually now relevant for farmers you know there, there's restrictions on stock relief for example the farmers would claim that's now a state aid that's just, so stock relief is seen to be a state aid um, in, uh, issue um, and uh, oftentimes now you would see that that particular tax incentives that might be given out in a particular year are subject to EU approval or subject to state aid approval um, so uh, state aid has permeated throughout Irish tax legislation and probably throughout the EU, so it's become pretty much a you know a nuisance factor or an additional factor to be taken into account. Um, and then on the, on the other hand, as you rightly say, that uh, the EU, when an emergency arose, had no difficulty overriding their own state aid rules and um, bailing out. Uh, Luft, you know, the example you gave there for Germany unveiling that Lufthansa, which absolutely is the right thing to do, but it brings home the point that um, uh, they're ha- they're happy to do it when it's it's somebody else's issue, but when it's front and centre, you know, for a large EU country or kind of a, a national emergency, um, they'll override the rules. So I, I think Miss Vesker, she's lost a few cases now. She's made this sort of um, uh, her her cause celebre, um, and maybe she should be a bit 
a, a bit, bit a respectful retreat, as they say. Um, from an Irish point of view, though, it, it is it is good news um, in the one sense that like our our, our sovereign tax system, uh, which is you know our own tax system to to decide upon, that's the same in every other EU country, has been shown to be correct, and that the rule of law in Ireland has been shown to be correctly applied. Um, there's a separate argument, possibly, on you know whether it's right for Apple to pay tax in different jurisdictions, but that's that's for national jurisdictions to to enforce. Particularly the US. I mean, the US are the people who've sort of facilitated this. Um, but going forward, I, I would see further pressure being applied from the EU to try and get um, kind of their their objectives by another means, and we're already seeing some discussion on that. Alan Seary there of O'Neill Foley Accountants. It's just coming up to 25 minutes to 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until uh, 10 o'clock. And just on that point about people concerned about accruing personal uh, tax liabilities as a result of participation by their employer in the wage subsidy scheme. If you have any queries, contact Revenue on 01738 that's 01738 or go to revenue.ie or the My Inquiries account. We're back and we'll be talking foreign direct investment with the IDA. KCLR, the heart of two counties. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR with you until 10 o'clock. I'm John Purcell. I'm joined on the line by Brendan MacDonald, who's Regional Manager for the South East with IDA Ireland. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, how are you? Very well. We're to discuss uh, this morning about uh, IDA and and how things are going uh, for foreign direct investment. IDA Ireland, you released your uh, six-month progress report. There's scarcely been a time like it for IDA Ireland or any business. How are things going and what does the report tell us? Yeah, that's right. We released the half-yearly results there um, in in a couple of weeks ago. So basically... The report is telling us that um, we've had about 64 projects representing uh, 48% of which were in regional locations in the first half of the year. Um, I suppose 132 investments won so far in 2020, should I say 64 of which were in regional locations. Um, the, The environment we're currently finding ourselves in is very challenging, obviously, for foreign direct investment. Um, the base in Ireland has shown itself to be very resilient, but it's obviously not immune uh, to the impact of COVID-19 and, and the very, very strange times that we find ourselves in. So I suppose it's the strength of our value proposition and the resilience of the FDI sector in general that has seen us um, be very, uh, you know, I suppose, robust in the challenges that our companies have faced and they have, have faced them very well yeah. in the last number of months. So, yeah, very challenging time. Yeah, but I suppose before we look into the future, the first uh, six months, not a, not an entirely bad news story indeed. Some good 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 work going on in Carlock, Kilkenny. In Kilkenny, you've had some positive announcements and another uh, IDA Ireland client, MSD, in Carlow doing very well. Talk to us ab- about the new job announcements over the last six months. Yeah, so I suppose the biggest of which from a Kilkenny point of view would be UPMC, which uh, announced 
60 jobs uh, and the opening of a global technology operations centre in Kilkenny, which is going into the McDonough Junction uh, Centre. So they're out of Pittsburgh in the US and they are a leading integrated healthcare provider and insurer. So they have uh, some operations in Ireland already, but not from a technology point of view. So they would have purchased the Whitfield Clinic in recent years and they've also purchased the, the Clane Hospital as well. So I suppose this is an extension of their uh, arm into the region. They've got a call out, uh, sorry, an, an outreach centre in Carlow as well, I should say. So they uh, were looking to expand in the southeast and they chose Kilkenny. Obviously, they were in a number of times and we toured around the region and they settled on with Kilkenny in the end, which is fantastic yeah. uh, story from the point of view of Kilkenny and the wider region because it's a twenty, you know, over a twenty billion dollar company who's chosen to have their um, technology centre in Kilkenny. So it's a hugely positive uh, story for us in IDA and obviously from a Kilkenny and regional point of view so we can attract these kind of companies to the region, which is fantastic. Also in the medical area, MSD and Carlo, uh, another billion uh, dollar company all over the world, uh, they're going particularly strongly too. They are, and last July we would have uh, attended a, a, a sod turning of the second piece of the Carlo facility, so Carlo 2, uh, which is um, another production facility because uh, the the drugs they're producing on site are quite successful as it happens and they need an increase in capacity. So they chose Carlo for the second uh, iteration of that production facility as well, which is a, a real boost from the point of view, a real boost and, and a real confidence um in the workforce in Carlo and across the wider region. So that was a, a welcome boost just uh, last year. So that's in the process of being constructed at the moment. And obviously biologics and, you know, pharmaceuticals in general is, is quite strong in Ireland. So it's yeah. a boost from Ireland. Uh, tell us about the future, though, because you mentioned site visits and, you know, UPMC looking at a number of sites and going around and probably walking the ground. That's kind of off the agenda at the moment. Flights from the US even uh, not really a thing at the moment. How is IGA managing and trying to surmount that uh, the challenge that physical distancing and lockdowns present and so on? Yeah, so I suppose while the physical visits are off the agenda uh, for now, we have moved our uh, offering online and we're doing remote sign tours of locations and meeting stakeholders. So obviously we would get companies in when they're physically able to visit us and we would tour them around the various locations and they would physically go into companies to meet. But our, uh, our relationships are such that we can call on, um, I suppose, the, the stakeholders and, and various different people include the likes of the Kenny County Council or Carlo County Council or some of the folks maybe in, in the likes of an MSD or uh, a UPMC who will come online and, and showcase the region for us. And that's been a vital cog in the wheel for IDA over the years. So we've moved them online and what we're trying to do is what we call remote site visits where we're looking to showcase the region. Obviously, we would hope that people will be able to have boots on the ground at some point in the future, but we can certainly advance the regional uh, value proposition and the regional tours online uh, as best we can in this kind of uh, most unusual times. So while people aren't physically coming, we certainly are still chasing down those investments. And, you know, we were very, very fortunate in the region to have MTech Mobility announced in Wexford only this week. So we still are able to um, continue with our business. Uh, while it's not business as usual, it certainly has pivoted to the point that we are able to still keep up the fight for investment into, into Ireland and, of course, into regional locations. 
Yeah, so so you're adapting like everybody else. How, how would you characterise the outlook and, and the pipeline for the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at the reports that are coming out from the various trade and development agencies, even the United Nations uh, Conference on Trade and Development, uh, they estimate that FDI, or Foreign Direct Investment, uh, I suppose we call it FDI, but it's Foreign Direct Investment, uh, to, uh, to the various people would, would know it as, uh, the flows of foreign direct investment in 2020 and 2021, um, you know, the impact on the flow will be quite severe, according to these agencies, potentially cutting global investments up by up to 40%. And that's not necessarily going to translate um, to Ireland, but we would we would obviously see that things will slow down. You know, as you say, the, the site visits have, have uh, gone virtual, but they have obviously decreased in the last couple of months as well. So we have to still fight on the global stage for investment and we have to continue our work um, as best we can and continue to sell Ireland internationally as best we can from the perspective of foreign direct investment. So we will continue that, but it certainly will be um, it will be a very challenging environment. But look, on the positive side, we have many things to still offer, uh, be it in a COVID environment or not. Brendan MacDonald, uh, Regional Director of IDIA Ireland, talking about the challenges, but also the positivity that's ahead. Thank you very much, Brendan. Now, joining me on the line is Kate Gaynor of the Paint Hub in Carlow, who I spoke to BC. That's before COVID. She was on with Mag Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trout Farm, talking about women in business. Kate, COVID has had quite a, an impact on your business and how you do it. A lot of people doing painting over the pandemic, but you learned a lot of lessons and you've changed how you're actually operating. Tell us about it. We did, John. We did. We made some massive changes. Um, I suppose for us in the pandemic, we were a sector that was very busy and we were only in retail for a year. Um, our existing businesses, uh, business to business, and we went into retail, paint retail. And I suppose for, with COVID for us, it gave us a chance to look at our business and fast forward. It brought us forward growth wise in terms of where we would have been after two more years because it was so busy. Yeah, and um, uh, you found out that being busy isn't really good for the bottom line unless you're actually quite focused on making sales and volume of sales and and uh, profitability. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Again, being new to retail, like retail is tough. It's rough. It's rough, John. And like, like, like what they say, retail is detail. Like, there's so much goes into it. The the amount of cost in retail, we were just astounded. And dealing with the public, that was the most exciting and rewarding part of dealing with the public. We're very personable and we believe people don't buy the products they buy relationships stories and they're buying into our own beliefs so we love that side of it but it was just the costs were just insurmountable so uh, we always thought the first year in business we didn't have enough customers buying paint from us there's a lot of multinationals nearby and um, but it wasn't the case again with covid a lot of them were shut down we were trading with more customers we could cope with and then we got to see okay this is us at max capacity of orders where are we financially and it still wasn't great mm. So, um, and people love talking about paint and asking you questions and so on. You're actually using video quite a bit now. Tell us about how you do that to deal with customer queries and to inform customers. 
Yeah, again, I suppose bringing a bit of personality into it and bringing our own beliefs. Like personally, I'm quite eco. I'm into cruelty-free products, long-life products. So it was bringing that to the customer where we had black bristle paintbrushes on the shelf and they're not cruelty-free. I think, God, why are we selling them at all? So it kind of started with small things like that where I'd go on video and say, this is why this product isn't cruelty-free. This is actually hog hair on this brush. Here's another brush, same price same uh, output um, in terms of speed, the, the paint finish, don't buy these ones. So, And that kind of kicked off. Then we got a nice following of DIYers in Ireland. And then luckily enough, when COVID hit, our, our following was quite substantial already. And it grew from there. So I, I think online as well, I thought online would be very soulless. But after working in the shop, um, you know, Instagram was what kind of took off for us mainly. And, and suddenly we were more nationwide than local. So we already were mainly online because most of our support base came from, I suppose, painting fans around the country nationally as opposed to locally. Yeah, and but you're not kind of just fleeing online totally. You're still going to do events and have kind of specific days when people can come. And But, but that's a bit part of a trend, uh, I think, is it? Yeah, yeah. We missed them as well. We missed seeing people because I see it on the ground. It's lovely getting the feedback. So we did a yard sale last Saturday and people came from, people stayed in the Seven Oaks in Carlo. They came stayed overnight. They came from Cork. Loads of dubs. I always like the dubs don't pass the M50, but they all did in fairness to them. And it was, yeah, people were queuing around the block for it. It was brilliant. So we're, we're hoping to do that at least once a quarter, so at least four times a year so we can meet people, be on the ground and keep our cost base a slightly lower um, yeah, so and Kate, so people want to get in touch with you. How do they do it now? Um, Instagram really is one of our like our website, thepainthub.ie. That's our main avenue for sales. Um, but really, then Instagram, we put up all of our product information on Instagram, and that's where we kind of come alive. Where you see us talking about what products are coming in next, how we feel about them, if we think they're good products or not. We're very honest on there. So it mainly all comes through Instagram, and then from Instagram, they either go to our website to buy it, or go to a, a, a local retailer, an independent painter near them that stocks those brands that we stock. Kate, great to talk to you. Best of luck um, in the post-COVID world and COVID bringing a lot of changes around. That was Kate Gaynor uh, from thepainthub.ie. We're going to be talking about the Kilkenny Welcome Team after this break. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. At the heart of it all, KCLR. KCLR indeed. It's just uh, six minutes to 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you until 10. And I'm joined on the line by Martina Comerford, who's here to tell us about the Kilkenny Tourism Recovery Task Force, because tourism receiving a huge setback with this COVID-19, a huge part of the economy in Carlow and Kilkenny. Martina, tell us about the task force. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, well, I suppose uh, we're delighted uh, that uh, Kilkenny County Council, in partnership with uh, Fall to Ireland, have, estab- have established a recovery task force here in Kilkenny. Um, as part of the task force, we've gotten all different various stakeholders to come on board and to have a look at actions and objectives that we can implement to help uh, the tourism economy here in Kilkenny post-COVID. Um, I suppose we've got um, various members of the industry from tourism hospitality and we've we've come up with uh, various different initiatives um, for reopening safely and for keeping our businesses open and to rebuild the tourism uh, economy here in Kilkenny. Yeah and uh, a totally different landscape you know the city centre streets, uh, high street in particular one way, wider footpaths, people nervous about coming back um, and you've developed 
developed a, a sort of initiative around that, which is the Kilkenny Welcome Team. Tell us about that. Absolutely, uh, John, and we were delighted, I suppose, the, the initiative came from the task force where businesses were, were worried about reopening and worried if people would feel safe and feel welcome coming back into the city. So I suppose based on that, we um, we were delighted to get Brian Cody on board to um, look for volunteers to join our Kilkenny Welcome team. Um, so we would have people on the streets, um, they would be highly visible and they'd be ready to welcome people, both our own uh, people from Kilkenny themselves and I suppose the national visitor to come back in around the city to know that they can they, they can find out what's on in Kilkenny um, the, the, the volunteer would be available there to you know point out um, the attractions that are open uh, things to do around the city um, other points of information like where the ATMs are, public toilets uh, that kind of thing so we just wanted a presence on the street um, it's, it's, it's a visible presence John just to show that Kilkenny is reopened, we've reopened safely and we're, we're back uh, to welcome visitors and what kind of time commitment are you looking for from these uh, volunteers? We would look for the volunteers, John, to do maybe two, three-hour uh, shifts in a week, um, depending on numbers, of course, um, that we get on the team. But um, we would we would hopefully have maybe a three-hour shift where you'd be out on the street, you'd be available to um, you know to, to point uh, visitors in in the various directions or to answer the queries or concerns they may have. Um, there would be a base provided for the volunteers in St Mary's Arms House, John. So you know the people can leave their bags in there. There's tea and coffee station there and they'd be out on the streets then for three hours um, at a time. Yeah, and uh, been well received by the business community so far? Yes, well, we we're delighted to say that you know the idea the, it actually came from the from the businesses on that task force themselves, where they did feel that that kind of a presence and that kind of welcome would would add to the experience of the visitor coming back into Kilkenny. So, yeah, we're delighted to say it, it's been it's positively received. So, and if someone wants to volunteer, what do they do? Uh, how do they? Where do they get it's, contact? Yes, they can log on to Kilkenny County Council's website, and so it's kilkennycoco.ie, and it's Team Kilkenny. There's a simple one-page registration form available online there, John. They complete that form, and we will be back to them um, next week to look at um, little pieces of training and to get the volunteers uh, ready to be out on the streets, hopefully, after the, for the bank holiday weekend. Okay. Okay, Martina, thank you very much. We've got to leave it there. That's Martina Comerford from Kilkenny County Council telling us about the Kilkenny Welcome Team, which is uh, an initiative of the Kilkenny Tourism Recovery Task Force, which I believe is chaired by uh, Colette Byrne of Kilkenny County Council. That's all we've got time for this morning on The Bottom Line. I do hope you've enjoyed the programme and you'll join us next week. We've been on air for a year, uh, believe it or not, 49 episodes of The Bottom Line under our belts in the current run uh, thanks to everybody who's contributed over that time you can catch up with any of them on our podcast channel which is available through all podcast uh, platforms simply look for the bottom line uh, KCLR thank you to all our guests this week Eamon Quinn Alan Siri, Brenda MacDonald Kate Gaynor and Martina Comerford thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced and thanks to everybody in the background Etna, John Walsh and so on who got us back on the rails after a bit of a rocky start but onwards and upwards. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie.